you get on two wheels, uh, you're exposed to the elements, you know, you're, you're living a, a life inside your own helmet. Um, you know, you feel every bump in the road, you feel every, you know, one or two degrees in temperature change. Um, it connects you to your environment in such a powerful way. And, and you know, riding a motorcycle is a, a beautiful, holistic experience. Welcome to Slacker Motor Radio with Brad and Addison. Based out of the Pacific Northwest, we're talking motorcycles and the motorcycle community. And we're excited to have this hour with you. Here we go. back slackers brad how are you i am doing great yeah coming up on uh, christmas coming up here in a couple days and so getting excited with for that with the family and uh what that may entail we'll see how it goes and excited especially for today's episode uh me uh, me as well or i am too whatever the proper english there is uh, we are super excited this week as we've mentioned last week as well as in some of the promos we've set up to kind of tease it here uh, we've got a true adventurer with us today. Uh, we've got a TV host, a keynote speaker, and uh, an adventurer as well, as I mentioned, I guess, to begin with. And yes, that's all the same person. Uh, we've got with us today the amazing Ryan Pyle. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you both for having me. And it's uh, it's a true honor to be able to uh, to chat with you guys and, and uh, appreciate the time. I appreciate that. Uh, you're too nice, literally. But uh, now my introduction, we kind of talked about a little bit uh, in advance here, but my introduction to Ryan was through an awesome uh, set of motorcycle adventure documentaries that he's done called Tough Rides. And more specifically, the original one that I saw recently, um, which isn't, which is his most current one, in fact, is Tough Rides Brazil. But uh, Ryan, you've had the opportunity to ride at least for a documentary through uh, Brazil, China, and India, correct? Yeah, that is correct. So China was the first trip, and I did that with my brother Colin. Uh, and then we liked it so much that we went out and did another one in India. And then my brother retired from uh, Adventure Motorcycle Television, and I went out and did Brazil uh, on my own. And uh, we were looking at actually doing another one here in 2020, but that got postponed. Um, and hopefully I'll get back into the motorcycle adventures in 2021. Okay. Now I did see, yes, in, in, uh, kind of on your website, you know, I guess we'll, we'll tease it now, but ryanpile.com, um, you do talk about a, a next one, which is tough rides, uh, tough rides, Saudi Arabia. Is that, is that the one you, you have to postpone? Yeah. So, um, okay. I live, I live here in, uh, Dubai and, uh, and Saudi Arabia was kind of opening up, uh, at the end of 2019 and they were starting to invite in a lot of tourists and, and obviously Saudi Arabia has been uh, quite famously a closed country uh, for many. <laughs> and, um, and they were trying to open up and trying to change their ways and trying to uh, bring in more international tourists. And I thought, you know, I should just get on a bike and, and go see the country. So we had a, we had a production that was going to start at the end of March. Um, and of course, you know, around mid-March, everything kind of got shut down. That, yeah, that'd be awesome one to see. But I, I imagine you've got a few more in the runnings. In fact, I know on YouTube you've got one where uh, you go with a, a buddy Lou, and you guys do Canada as well. That was a, that was a pretty cool adventure to watch. 
That that was, yeah. I mean, Canada was incredible. And that was a partnership with uh, Destination Canada, which is Tourism Canada. And we made that show for the Chinese audience. So that was commissioned in China. Because actually, for 16, 17 years, I actually lived in uh, Shanghai, China. And, uh, and I, I was a little bit famous in China. So we were able to put that show together. My buddy Lou, uh, Lewis and I went and did that. Uh, it was 74 days, 24,000 kilometer motorcycle trip around uh, Canada, which was incredible because I'd never seen my own country in that way before. And, uh, and motorcycling wow. around uh, was, was just a dream come true because I got to really see um, all of all great white north. So it was, uh, and, and in summer, which was lovely. Yeah, that, I mean, it was definitely a, an absolutely beautiful adventure, if nothing else. It looked like an awesome, uh, awesome chance for you guys to spend time together. Now, I don't, it was kind of hard to watch as a Westerner. I know a lot of it was in uh, was in Chinese, um, but at the same point, it was easy enough to follow and and go along with and follow that adventure. And I think that's one of the things I've really appreciated about your documentaries. And if we just go the broader sweep of of motorcycle adventures in general, is how universal riding a motorcycle and having an adventure on a motorcycle is to the world. Yeah, I mean, it's best. I mean, exploring a country on two wheels is beautiful. Um, you know, when you when you've got a car, when you've got all this, you know, metal and steel wrapped around you, um, you know, and you've got climate control, and you can turn on your Taylor Swift song and sing along privately, so no one's watching you. You know, like you're living in this little bubble, and you're not really feeling any of the environment you're traveling through. But then you get on two wheels, uh, you're exposed to the elements. You know, you're you're living a, a life inside your own helmet. Um, you know, you feel every bump in the road, you feel every, you know, one or two degrees in temperature change. Um, it connects you to your environment in such a powerful way. And, and you know, riding a motorcycle is a, a beautiful, holistic experience. I completely agree with that. That's that's kind of the thing about riding that always, uh, I guess, that continues to captivate me is, is longer trips, those opportunities to do more than just, you know, a Saturday ride somewhere, but but really experience something on a motorcycle beyond just riding it around your neighborhood so that's awesome and one of the things i loved about uh about a lot of those documentaries um but i guess you know, before we get too far we should also mention granted you've done a lot more than just ride motorcycles i know uh you're an award-winning photographer i know you've written a couple books both on adventure and photography um and i know that you hosted uh, a number of shows including what we're talking about tough rides but i know you've got extreme treks and uh, I imagine a lot more that I'm not aware of in China you've been involved with as well. Um, but uh, I think it's uh, it's important to note that, uh, that really I think you've had the opportunity to use adventuring in general beyond motorcycles to uh, to bring people closer. Um, you know, as a as a motorcyclist, I, I very much appreciate that. That's something that that I love on any trip is is how it it kind of brings people to want to talk to you. Uh, you don't see a lot of people hoarding around the car at the gas station, but people want to come and talk to the motorcycle at the gas station. And I know with a lot of your adventures, it's that way. What, uh, I guess as you've done these adventures, both motorcycle or otherwise, uh, you know, what, what has changed in your perspective on, uh, on the world really? I mean, it just gets, you know, it just allows you to see a lot of the world. Um, it allows you to kind of be humble. Um, I think riding a motorcycle is a humbling experience. It, it kind of puts you in your place. Uh, some days are more difficult than others. And, and like you said, you, you meet people at gas stations. Uh, you meet people at, you know, at, uh, at little diners along the highway. 
You meet, you know, you meet people in the places in between that you would never meet people if you were driving by car or by flying because, you know, the car just has so much, so much more, um, such a bigger gas tank and you can just go so much further. You can actually get from city to city, you know, because so much of the world, um, is, uh, is designed for the car. But, you know, when you're riding a motorcycle, you do have to stop more often. Uh, and that puts you into contact with, with people that you would normally just go, go right past. And it's, um, and it's beautiful. You have to really be up for those engagements and be up for those conversations. And, uh, and, you know, the more you listen, the more you learn. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an educational experience. And I think that's the thing that drives me to keep kind of riding motorcycles around the world. It's just, you learn so much. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I can go back a little bit and, and give you guys a little, uh, a little bit of an update. So I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and I actually played um, Division One basketball for the University of Toronto. And I really wanted to play professional basketball, and I just wasn't good enough. So in order to make up for that, I moved to China. And I actually, <laughs> I didn't know anyone in China. I didn't speak any Chinese or anything like that. But I, I took one course in university called an introduction to modern China. And for some reason that was enough to make me think I need to go check this place out. So I went to, I went to China and you know, it's funny because when you play basketball, when you play sports at a young age, you don't grow up uh, very well-rounded. You know, you play sports all the time. You don't have a lot of other hobbies. You don't have a lot of other interests. And, um, and it wasn't until my basketball career was done that I realized I liked riding motorcycles. I liked talking to people. I liked traveling. I liked exploring. I liked storytelling. Um, and then what I did when I went to China was I basically just dedicated my life to storytelling. And I started off working as a, as a photographer and a writer. I got to work with the New York times for about 10 years. And then I moved into, to, you know, documentaries and television production and, and tough rides, China. Um, that first motorcycle trip around China was really, my my first television production but also too my 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 kind of rejection of modern journalism because you know i was in the journalism world for 10 years up until that motorcycle trip around china and i had kind of become sick and tired of just the negativity of news and i was part of that you know machine and the news coming out of china all the time all the time all the time was just so terrible but actually the country was lovely and I liked living there um, and the people were really nice. So the first thing I wanted to do when I was done with my journalism career was ride a motorcycle around China and show people like, quote unquote, the real China. So we, my brother and I, we did this, you know, 14,000 mile, 65 day motorcycle trip around China. And the goal was to show the television audience just all of that diversity and magic uh, that exists there. And, and that was kind of like how I needed to clear my head uh, of all the kind of difficulties of working in, in, you know, news and journalism for, for 10 years. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I guess to even take a step back, what, how did you get into motorcycling in general? Had you ridden prior to China? Uh, I had ridden pr prior to China. I had a, I had a friend in high school that had a bike um, and he would kind of go away for the summer sometimes and then uh, let me ride it. And then, <laughs> which was great. And then, um, and then when I was in university, I didn't really ride at all because we were, we were training so much and it was kind of not, uh, not very accepted when you're part of a, a sporting program to be showing up on a motorcycle all the time. So <laughs> that wasn't, uh, that wasn't very good. But then actually when I got to China, 
uh, and I started traveling around in the more rural regions, uh, there was, you know, a, a, always a chance to jump on the back of a bike. You know, some farmer was riding on some dirt road and you jump on the back of his bike and go. And then, you know, sometimes when you get to some small guest house, they'd have some motorcycles that you could rent so you could get out and explore the towns and the villages and the hills nearby. And, and the motorcycle, while I was a journalist and while I was doing all these uh, projects in China, a lot of which were, were travel related, to be honest. I did a lot of stuff for like Condé Nast magazine and Travel and Leisure magazine. A lot of them I'd just jump on a you know jump on a motorcycle and go out into the into the hills and stay with people or set up a tent. And, um, and I was like, man, this is amazing. And then of course the long way round uh, came out with you know Charlie and Ewan uh, having their wonderful adventure. And then I just thought I thought you know it was a great way to see the world. And I you know I. I'd been a fan of Ted Simon before that, um, but Ewan and Charlie, I think they really like visualized what a motorcycle trip could be. And, um, and the only, the only knock I had against them was, is that, you know, the television show was great and both of them are quite, you know, dynamic personalities, but you didn't, I didn't get to see enough of the country that they were traveling in and, and or meet enough of the local people sometimes. So I thought like, why don't I just get on a motorcycle and go around one country at a time? Um, and then people can really figure out like what that country looks like and really kind of learn something about uh, that one country. So, so my kind of take on motorcycle travel was, was definitely educational and definitely wanting to get to the bottom of, of what was really making this place kind of tick. Yeah, that's awesome. I think especially, uh, you know, it, obviously that, that recipe continues through all of the, uh, the Tough Ride series. Um, but that's one of the things in China when you watch that first one that that really struck me the most is is how diverse uh, China is, and I think it goes to exactly what you're saying that you know a lot of the Western news has a very one sided um, you know outlook on China and what China is, and that includes tourism and everything in China, right? We don't really see or or understand how vast and diverse uh, China is both in people and in landscape. And, and that's something that maybe with the, the Brazil, cause I actually watched Brazil first, as I've mentioned, and, and that's what caught me is it was kind of the same outlook of the Brazilian people that I had after living there for two years. And it wasn't the, uh, you know, you visited a favela, but it wasn't the, the gang ridden favelas or, you know, this, that, or the other one sided picture. It was the dynamic uh, holistic picture of what that country is. So, I, yeah, I think I can see that in there, and I, I appreciate that outlook as I've watched each of these uh, each of these videos. Yeah, I think working in journalism for a long time definitely helped me, you know, with my film and television shows, whether it's Extreme Treks or, or Tough Rides, because you know you, you learn how to put together a story, you learn how to ask questions, and then you you know you want to have this through line that kind of carries carries your story and. Um, and definitely going into places kind of objectively uh, without your own baggage is, is really important. And, you know, a place like China, for example, you know, there's so much negativity around it. And, and you know, for, for, for whatever the government, I think the most important thing you can do when you're traveling is not hold a government accountable <laughs> to, the, to the people because the people you meet when you're traveling are amazing. You know, the truck driver, the, the re, you know, the restaurateur, the, you know, the bartender, um, you know, the guy at the gas station, you know, the, the people you meet are, are wonderful everywhere in the world. Um, you know, and then what governments do 
uh, is what governments do, and that's politicking. But but you know, getting on a motorcycle and going to any country in the world, uh, regardless of what their global uh, reputation is in the media, uh, is probably just going to be a great time. Uh, if that country is not war torn, you're gonna you know you're gonna have you know you're gonna have some fun and you're gonna meet some cool people. So that's kind of that's that was my justification for wanting to go to Saudi Arabia. I mean, the you know the government there does whatever they do and they justify it however they want to justify it. Um, but the people are amazing, and and I wanted to learn about what the people thought and 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 what they would say to me if I showed up, you know, on a on a you know on an adventure bike, and that was my only reason to go and explore. No, I appreciate that. I think that's awesome to to see that dynamic of yeah, separating almost the you know your average person from the whole of of what picture is being maybe painted for the rest of the world. So I, I think that's awesome. Um, now, sounds like you got China. Obviously, you've done a lot in China with regards to photography and, and writing and, and kind of being a, a global citizen there. I know you've received awards from Canada for, for being uh, kind of a, an intermediary between the two countries. Um, but when you're there uh, in China or, I mean, for example, where you're at in, in Dubai at the moment, do you normally ride a motorcycle? Is that your normal form of transportation or was that just kind of something you would you would stumble on when you were reporting and when you're taking photos. So I've, I've actually, um, I've never really had my own motorcycle. Um, so I, you know, I, I got, I got a bike when I did tough rides China, uh, because you had to own a bike cause there was no like rental infrastructure there and no one's going to rent, you know, no one's going to rent you a bike and let us do what we did to our bike. So that was, that was pretty rough. And then, um, in India, we had to buy our bikes to film our India show again because it was uh, it was a pretty rough journey. And then in Brazil, um, BMW gave me a bike, which was very nice of them. And um, and then I brought it back in just the worst state you could ever imagine. So, um, but you know they knew that was going to happen. But uh, but I actually do not own a motorcycle, and the reason is is because I travel so much. Uh, so that's why I live in Dubai. Like I travel about 300 days a year. So last year, for example, I was filming in China in January and then February was the Philippines. March was China again. April was Indonesia. May was Malaysia. June was Mongolia. July was Taiwan. August was Kyrgyzstan. September was Thailand. October was India. November was Hong Kong. And in between all that, I did I did 50 speaking engagements as well. So that... That's why I live in Dubai because it's a hub for the world basically and the airline is is very nice. So so that all sounds ridiculous now because we're all locked down sitting <laughs> in quarantine but but that was my 2019 life and um and I loved it and that life is by design and you know I I, I very much enjoy that and um and then yeah obviously now to be locked down and and not have that freedom um is very difficult but but you know obviously uh I'm just complaining about nothing because people are losing their homes and losing their jobs and losing their livelihoods. And I'm just kind of stuck in one place. So it's not the end of the world, but actually being stuck has made me want to ride more now than ever before. And I think that the motorcycle is the ultimate social distancing vehicle. And I went into a dealership the other day, actually, to try to buy a bike and they didn't have uh, the one I wanted. So I'm still bikeless uh, at the moment, but I'm, I'm trying to, oh, well, now we got to know what you wanted. Now, if you're going to talk about buying a bike, 
Uh, well, I, I, I am actually very uh, partial, um, you know, to BMWs just because I've worked with them in the past. Uh, I am not currently on their payroll, so this is not <laughs> a sponsored segment. But, um, but I have ridden their bikes so much in the past because they've given me free ones uh, that I just like them and I just feel comfortable on them. And I haven't shopped around. Um, so this is not like, a, I'm not coming to you uh, as a, as a well-educated consumer, but I've, I've just ridden their bikes and I like them. And I really like the, uh, the R9T Scrambler. Um, okay. that's my, that's my go-to urban bike and I've rented it a bunch when I'm in the U S. So sometimes uh, I'm in LA cause my father uh, lives just outside Los Angeles and, uh, and I'll go down there and rent a bike and ride it around while I'm there for the week. And I love it. And I just thought to myself, man, Dubai is, you know, perfectly set up for a motorcycle. The, the roads are amazing. Um, there's almost no traffic. The, the winters here in Dubai are perfect. Um, the summers are crazy, very hot, uh, like being in Las Vegas. Uh, but the winters are just magic. And I was just thinking, yeah, if I'm going to spend the next three or four months not being able to travel, at least I can do is uh, ride around a bit. But, uh, sure. but they don't have the ones I want because they sold most of their bikes in 2019 and then they didn't get their 2020 bikes because the BMW factories have all been either working uh, at 50% capacity because of social distancing or they've been closed. And I'm just guessing that like Ducati and all the other big manufacturers are in the same boat. I don't even know. But um, but global manufacturing of, of motorcycles has really slowed down. So uh, uh, again, I mean, you know, people are losing their jobs and I can't buy the motorcycle I want. It sounds ridiculous, but that's, uh, that's, you know, just something I came across this week. Yeah. But I mean, even in the U S it seems like the market was pretty hot. The supply was low. The demands were high as people were finding uh, ways to go out social distance as you, as you stated. So, I mean, I don't know if that's been the case in Dubai, but I mean, those that have the means have been doing it. Um, especially like at least local travel in the U S it seems like there's still people doing it. It's not at the extreme and as it was, or nor is the tourism where it was by any means, but I mean, people are still going out and riding. So hopefully you find one. That'd be nice. It would be like, normally I just like to rent. Like if I'm a, if I'm in town for a week or two, or I can just pick up a rent, but there's no rental infrastructure uh, here in Dubai, which is a bit sad, um, because I like to, it's nice to like rent a different bike every time and try out different, different things and see which ones you like. Um, but, uh, uh, maybe, you know, when I'm back in Europe or North America, hopefully I can, uh, rent a few different bikes and play around and, but at the moment it's not possible. Now, did you, I know that you rode around China, but I know there's some areas, at least I've seen some videos and, and my perception of what China is or, or, or how it's set up is completely abstract i used to think of new york as the state and i thought of new york city so i have to take that uh, in mind as well but did i've seen some videos of the traffic and it just seemed wild like wild wild west you, everybody does what they want was that what you saw in the larger cities or would you even ride a motorcycle if that's the case yeah so uh you know for tough rides china i mean tough rides india uh tough rides brazil uh, the traffic was crazy everywhere all the time, but India was by far the worst. Uh, really? Traffic. Oh, oh my God. Yes. Um, the, the thing about China is, is, uh, in the cities, it's quite congested and the traffic was a bit funny. Uh, people doing strange things, riding the wrong way on 
you know, your side of the street and things like that. But, but once you were out of the cities, uh, it was pretty relaxed. And then the road quality was amazing. So, you know, if really? you're riding an 800cc or a 1200 cc, you know, you can do 60, 80 miles an hour um, once you're out of the cities on a really nice road that's safe. Uh, and all the other cars are going, you know, about the same speed and, and you can really settle in and get some good distance done. Uh, but but being in the cities was really hard. And we had to kind of sometimes when we were filming in China, we had to make sure we were coming into cities after rush hour and stuff like that, just so that we could get to where we needed to get to. And then eventually we just stopped going to cities and, and, and started staying on the outskirts of towns and going around cities um, because it just was too difficult and not really worth it. Now in India, the cities were ridiculous. Like Delhi and Mumbai had the, some of the worst traffic ever. And don't forget, like when we're filming, we have, you know, we have one motorcycle and one SUV because the camera guys are in the SUV. They're following they have most of the bags. They've got all the camera equipment. So it's not like I can just, you know, pull into the shoulder and, and fly and beat all the traffic and be like, hey, I'm at the hotel having a beer. You know, I have to wait for the guys because if something happens, we need to film it. And if I just blow off and leave them, they're going to get pissed off at me. But then also, too, if, you know, if, if I get hit by a car, <laughs> which is which is a filmable moment, um, as long as I'm, you know, as long as I can laugh it off at the end, um, the, you know, that's something that needs to be done. So having to stay near the camera guys all the time is of uh, very important. So um, so I, I I can only go as fast as the car can go when we get caught up in those traffic uh, situations. Sao Paulo, again, had terrible, terrible traffic. Um, so that was, you know, there's. Big cities everywhere are pretty rough. I'm hoping Saudi Arabia is pretty good. It's, the cities are, are not too busy. And then um, next up, one of the other places on my list is Russia. So we're looking at a few of these options. Oh, that's awesome. You have to be pretty close to your camera crew. I mean, really. I mean, you're spending so much time with them. Are, the, are these guys that you found? Or uh, how, how, did, how did that happen to end up with a crew that you could actually withstand being around? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I've worked with the same director of photography for ten years. His name's Chad Ingram, and uh, he was a very, very talented uh, still photographer. And uh, we were both still photographers in Shanghai, working for different media. And and then one day I was like, okay, I'm done with you know news journalism and stuff like this. I'm going to make television. And I asked him, I'm like, have you ever used a video camera before? And he said no. And I was like, well, if I bought one, could you figure it out? And he said yes. <laughs> And uh, so he worked with me on Tough Rides China, Tough Rides India, Tough Rides Brazil. And then now we've done 24 episodes of Extreme Treks all around the world. We just got nominated for five Asian Academy Awards, which are like Asian Emmys um, wow. for Extreme Treks, which is on BBC Earth. And he's he was nominated for Best Cinematographer. Um, so we've, yeah, we've come a long way together and he's shot every, every uh, episode of TV I've ever made. And actually now, you know, because of this pandemic, um, uh, you know, he's actually looking now at changing careers uh, because what we're doing is a little bit less sustainable than he thought it would be uh, in the midst of a pandemic. So he's actually thinking at the moment maybe about about switching careers or doing something that uh, that has a bit more stable of an income because while we've been loving life and traveling the world for the last few years, um, this last stretch has been a, a little bit difficult for people in production, for people who are used to moving around. And um, so we're, I think, you know, 
that we're going to lose a lot of very, very talented and creative storytellers. And that's uh, a little bit sad. Yeah. I hope that uh, it doesn't come to that. I, you know, I, I, I would assume, and we all hope that this is the only pandemic that we have to go through, but I think having something in your back pocket is always a, a good thing to have as far as being able to uh, sustain uh, some sort of income and be able to, if you have family, take care of family, whatever it may be. So as a result of you doing these things and going out, did any of these other guys that you go out with, did they ever get the bug for motorcycling as well, or did they already have it? Yeah. I mean, they, 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 you know, they kind of have it, but they're, they love to travel and, yeah. um, you know, you traveling is a drug, you know, it, 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 you wake up every day, you see something new, you meet someone new, you eat something new. It's, it's every day is new and fresh. And, uh, and that is a heightened level of existence. And it's something that you'd absolutely get addicted to. Um, and, uh, and for me and my, my crew, we're all very much, you know, on that drug and, um, which is, you know, which has made the last few months even more difficult, I think, because we did travel with impunity, uh, for many, many years and, and loved it. And, um, and it's been a, a kind of a rude awakening. Yeah. I, I can imagine that that's, uh, you know, very much the case, uh, for, for somebody who's, who's in different countries, especially, I mean, that we were talking about that before that, you know, country borders and, and global community has, has kind of shrunk a little bit due to this pandemic, which I, I think is one of the big negatives as well as, you know, the obvious. Um, now, one of the questions we kind of were touching on it here that I that I had is, so you've filmed these epic adventures, you know, you've done China, India, uh, Brazil, Canada. How much of that time, I mean, if, if you watch the video, right, maybe I'm asking too much behind the scenes, but a lot of that you'd think, you know, 24-7 you're on the bike or sleeping in a hammock. Um, but how much of that is time is actually spent filming and production and maybe rerunning a route so that you can get that? Or is your camera crew ready and everybody's good that you just keep riding and they get it all? No, no, it definitely doesn't work like that at all. So <laughs> I think, um, uh, okay. So with regards to what we shoot and what gets used, uh, it's usually like a, on the 10% rule. So we shoot, you know, 10 times more than we need and, and we just pick the best bits. Um, so what you're seeing in the television show is not exactly what happened. You're just seeing the highlights of what happened because, you know, to, you know, you'd have to live stream for 74 days to really watch everything. So it's, it's impossible. So you're definitely seeing an edited version of the best things or the worst things that happened or the things that we think would be most entertaining. And then, and then I would say that the filming process adds about 25 to 30% extra time to a journey. So if you are going to take, if you're going to take a, um, you know, if you're going to take a 30 day motorcycle trip around the United States and you've planned out every day and where you're going to sleep, and then you want to film it, you got to probably add another 30% uh, of days and hours to that trip uh, and then shorten each day by about 20, 30% as well because you do stop you do stop like the amount of times where we're just riding around and we come around this corner and it's beautiful and we all stop <laughs> and we turn around and we go back and we get the drone up and then you know one guy's shooting on the road and the other guy's flying the drone above and we do that corner like four or five times until we just get it perfect um we yeah of course that's that's television um and that that's painstaking but that's what makes people want to watch it and that's what you know, that's that aspirational storytelling that I think is, 
is so important. And, you know, while you're sitting there for the fourth time doing the same corner, waiting for the trucks to go by so that you can <laughs> jump on and get that clean shot of you with, with the valley in the background, you know, with the perfect light, that that is, you know, you're just like swearing and cursing in your helmet. But then when you see it afterwards, you're like, yeah, that was worth it. And, and that's, <laughs> you know, that's what that's that's part of the journey. And that's definitely the job. Um, that's that's the thing that that's the thing that turns off a lot of people, I think, is that it is it is a job um, and you do have to do it well if you want to do it again. And and those are the moments where you have to you have to kind of stomach that kind of stuff. But it's always worth it. No, I, yeah, I hear you there. I mean, those of us, I know there's a lot in the same boat as me as, as GoPro, uh, you know, bandits here that, that do a multi-day trip and, and take an ungodly amount of footage that is just garbage. I, I don't doubt what you said at all. <laughs> it always turns out with, you know, one scene after a five day trip. Yeah. And, and, and I think too, like people always ask me, you know, Oh, I, I want to make a TV show out of my journey and I have a GoPro and I'm like, okay, great. That's good. But I mean, if you really want to tell a story and you really want to have an audience connect to that story, you really do need to have like a dedicated camera person with you filming you and filming your interactions with people you meet along the way and also filming you on the motorcycle and that that is really just the starting point if you actually want to turn turn something uh turn your journey into some kind of consumable content because you know you can make a music video out of your gopro footage and add some cool music to it um, but it's not going to have a, a through line or a narrative or really hold people for, you know, 26 minutes or 46 minutes or whatever, however long a, an episode of television is. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that it even goes to show, you know, when you watch those, uh, you know, any episode really of, of the tough rides or, or really the extreme treks as well, how much of that is, is production and, and maybe redoing the same thing multiple times. But the fact that we can still get the the experience out of it, we still understand you know, the frustration of maybe, you know, difficult roads in the Amazon or going up to uh, the base camp of, of Mount Everest, uh, you know, or some of these things that you've been able to do and, and show and film, um, you know, we still understand and, and feel the uh, the general feeling of, of what it would be to be in those those shoes or be on that saddle. So I, I think that goes to show the the amount of effort probably from your production team to help support these trips. So that that's really cool. Yeah, no, thank you. It's that's exactly what we want. And, and, you know, because I was in journalism for so many years, I, I really got tired of, of negative stories and, and sensationalized everything. So when I decided I wanted to make television, I decided I only wanted the, the, the trips and the shows to be very aspirational. So, you know, wanting to put you in that saddle, wanting to put you in, in my footsteps, you know, that is where we want to be with the show. And, and I have no interest in making documentaries or, or, you know, doing, you know, in-depth features about, you know, some political leaders in some place doing something bad. Like I just want to make beautiful travel shows um, because I, I did my time as a hard journalist and, and, <laughs> and it made me sad. And, and now all I want to do is, you know, when everyone's had a shitty day at the office and uh, they come home at 9 PM, they can turn on my show and be taken away from their, you know, their terrible day uh, and see a, a little, a little something that hopefully cheers them up. And that's the, that's the medicine I'm trying to deliver. No, I think that's awesome. Now, I guess one of the things that, that struck me having gone in the reverse order for your tough rides, 
was the difference on your solo trips versus you and Colin. And I, you know, if you want to get into to the details of, of Colin and, and Brazil, feel free. If not, that's all right. No, no, uh, what we'll get is into the difference? It. I, I love this stuff. Okay. <laughs> I'm curious. Uh, you know, obviously in Brazil trip, you were riding that solo, which as somebody who kind of lived there for a couple of years, I almost appreciated that because it felt like you really took the the people of Brazil as maybe your not co-host, but your 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 buddy on the ride, right? Each each place you stopped, you needed that companionship because you were just in your own helmet for the last however many hours per day. And I understand that having ridden solo before. Um, but how is that dynamic to you? What did you prefer? What did you find different between riding, you know, with your brother versus doing that solo trip or even your trip through Canada with, uh, with Lewis? So this is great. And I'm so glad that you've picked up on this because as a storyteller, this was really crucial. Um, when I did my trips with Colin in China, in China and India, we obviously had a wonderful time together and, and, and we're, we're actually very good friends. Uh, we're very close as brothers and, and we never, you know, had any arguments or anything like that. We were just trying to get through each day and stay safe. <laughs> and um, and but but from a filmmaking perspective, it, it was often just the two of us talking about what we were seeing. And and some people love that. Um, and then some people hate it. So some people are like, oh, you didn't talk to enough people from India or you didn't explain, you know, this person's life in China. It was just kind of like my brother and I talking about what we were seeing in the moment. And then when my brother decided to retire, decided to retire and, and kind of gave me his blessing to keep making the show without him. Um, and then when I went to Brazil, I, I definitely was like, okay, we, we're not going to have call and we need to have a lot of Brazilian people. And I really felt like we went out of our way to really find some amazing characters who are living amazing lives to kind of fill the gap. And actually, I love my brother, but I actually liked the Brazil trip more <laughs> because I felt like I learned more about Brazil by talking to Brazilians and not just kind of having these conversations with my brother. And, and it's funny, like people on the internet are really mean. So you'll find, <laughs> you'll find comments from like Brazil, like, Oh, this is you know terrible because he's just traveling around by himself. You know, like the other shows with his brother were better because people like the dialogue between the two of us because we made fun of each other and, Maybe he like said something bad about me while I was filling up the gas tank and he was just talking to the camera by himself. So people love that like bickering brother kind of stuff. But, but you know, that's kind of like lowest common denominator storytelling. Like it's fun, but it's easy. But going to Brazil and like really meeting all these people and, and like, and, and, and connecting with, you know, the guy that lives in the, in the Amazon, you know, who has 16 kids and 34 grandkids and we were there for his birthday and, you know, he's hacking up and making caipirinhas and he's hacking ice with his machete. You know, that might not have been, that might not have happened if I was doing the trip with my brother. We probably just would have shown up in some hotel and then like did a little piece to camera about, wow, today's trip was really tough and whatever. But instead, like here I am totally immersed in this man's life as he's having a birthday. And, and it, from a from a filmmaking and a storytelling standpoint, I very much prefer uh, the Brazil model. Um, and, and I definitely got much more out of Brazil uh, for, as a learning experience uh, being on that production than than in China and India. So it's, you know, it, it all depends on what the audience likes. You know, they love the Ewan and Charlie, like bickering back and forth stuff or or the Tough Rides China and India, you know, where, where there's two perspectives of what we're seeing. But um, but for me, I really loved Brazil and just kind of being all in all the time 
and and also on my own. Yeah, I, I think it was really on brand for the you know the adventure side of it. You know, a lot of adventure situations are a day's worth of tough writing in your own head, and then you just want to talk it out. And often it's your crew that you're with or whatever at the campfire that night. But anybody that's been on a, an adventure, whether it's on road, off road, or anything in between. You know, at the end of the day, you want to you want to talk that through, and it doesn't matter if it's you know the Airbnb host, the host of the bed and breakfast, the you know the guy in the front of the hotel, or your the buddies you're riding with. You want to talk about that day. You want to experience the moment. And I think uh, you've mentioned that in a couple of the shows that that really resonated that that you know motorcycling is such a in the now situation that you have to be present. You have to be in the moment. You can't be in the past. You can't be in the future. Or you're going to either make a mistake or miss something. And, you know, I think that I, I agree with you on this and I, I didn't know where you would go on it. So I'm glad I'm not uh, speaking blasphemy when I, I appreciated the solo ride fashion of Brazil as well. So that's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it, you know, some people like Brazil better. Some people like the China and India ones better, but you know, my brother has retired, so it's, uh, he's not coming <laughs> back. So if I do any more, everyone's just going to have to get used to the solo riding uh, adventures or just, you know, find something else to watch, I guess. But it'd be tough to lose. It'd be tough to lose. I'm not going to, well, what I'm saying is I'm not going to bring in a second rider who's not my brother. So, um, I, w- I wouldn't do that just to just to keep you know people happy. Um, That's what I thought Addison was going at here. I thought he was wanting to join. Yeah, I, was, I was waiting for the invite. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, uh, no, no. Plane tickets are cheap right now. Plane tickets are cheap if you can get you know your seven COVID tests before you have to cross the <laughs> continent. Yeah, I can't do anything when I get there. I'm stuck in a, a specific quarantine hotel, but I can get there real cheap. There you go. Amazing. Um, <laughs> no. That's awesome. But um, yeah, so I guess along those lines, obviously there's a different dynamic in each of them just based on where you're at and the people and, and the cultures. Are there any moments on those? Obviously, you know, there's times where things are, are nerve wracking or scary or just completely awe inspiring. What, uh, what have been some of your favorite moments from your adventures, even if it's kind of not something on film or whatever? The thing, the thing that kills me the most is when the support vehicle dies. So, like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're making a television show about riding a motorcycle, and we just have endless car problems everywhere we go. And it's just exhausting. So, I, I, that, like, really, that really winds me up. Like, when I remember we were in, we were in Brazil one day. It was, like, day three, and our, and our support vehicle died. And, and I was like, come on, like, we're on a motorcycle trip. Like, I'm... We got to get you know another you know 250 miles or whatever uh, before sun goes down because we don't like riding at night because it's quite dangerous. So so we try to use as much daylight as we can every day and um, and yeah and then the support vehicle breaks down and then you got to figure out like how to get a tow truck in Portuguese and then the tow truck doesn't take you to the place the car can get fixed. They just take you off the highway and like they leave you at a gas station and then they give you a number of someone else who can pick you up and it's just like. It's just a logistical nightmare when that car doesn't work. You know, when a motorcycle doesn't work, you can throw it on, you know, you can literally throw it in the back of an SUV, which we did in China when my battery yeah. rose. Um, we literally threw it in the back of the SUV and, and just drove it, you know, to the next place. So, yeah, having car problems makes me insane um, on these trips. But, um, but you know, and then, and then I think dealing with the natural elements is also very hard. So, 
but that's that's what makes it fun too. Like in China, we were up at really high altitudes, you know, 16, 17,000 feet above sea level um, in, 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 in a hailstorm in one place, you know, and, the, and it was well below zero. My battery just froze. The bike wouldn't, wouldn't turn over at all. Um, that was terrifying. Uh, in India, we got caught in some horrific rainstorms um, because we were there kind of at the tail end of the monsoon season and riding in the rain is... Riding in India in dry conditions is incredibly dangerous. Riding in India in the middle of a monsoon is 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 just stupid. Um, and there were days where we just either you know only did a few kilometers or a few miles and then had to get off the road, or or there were afternoons where we were just sitting in gas stations and watch it rain because it was too dangerous to be on the road. So um, the natural elements are always always wild. And then of course. You've got the, the quality of the road itself. So, you know, you 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 had lived in Brazil, Addison, for some time. The BR319, the road of ghosts that connects Manaus to Portobello, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a thousand miles pretty much of straight Amazonian road. And the road was built by the Brazilian military in the 1960s. Um, and then they just basically left it and the jungle has reclaimed the road and it's not a road that you should take and it's not a road you should take by yourself and it's not a road that you should take with just one car um but we went for it anyways and it was tear inducing because um because some days we only did like 30 miles i mean you can imagine riding for 12 hours and falling six or seven times an hour and only getting you know 30 miles done in a day and somehow that's not motorcycle riding um that's just like you know, banging your head against the wall for a week. Uh, but, you know, those those kind of moments are, you know, you have to embrace them for what they are. And of course, they make you a stronger person um, and able to kind of withstand more pain at a later date. But, but you know, those are kind of three things, like just the natural elements of all the countries you have to deal with. And then some, sometimes the quality of the road can be can be quite difficult. And it's funny too, like roads are roads are tough, but but and they push you in, in really kind of unique ways and, and and how you rebound and how you kind of overcome these challenges definitely shapes you as a human being. And I think that's another way that, you know, these motorcycle trips can kind of test people and and find out like really kind of what you're made of. Um, as long as you, you know, the 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 road of ghosts, the BR319 in Brazil, it wasn't a dangerous road. Like I wasn't going to die on the road. It was just miserable. Um, so it was more of, instead of being dangerous, it was just more of an exercise in discomfort. Wow. Yeah. I'm... And I, and I might've cried, I might've cried a little there off and on, uh, <laughs> one, one of those days, like, you know, you know what the problem was, you know, what the problem was, is I had this big, I had this big 800, uh, CC motorcycle. And of course on, when you're, when you're riding through mud up to your knees, you want to be on the smallest, lightest bike possible. So I wish I had like a 100 CC Suzuki or something, but I was on this 800 cc uh, bmw and it just kept falling and lifting it up was a, a nightmare but the biggest problem is is these big bikes they have um they're air cooled right so so you have to be moving at a certain speed to cool off the engine and yeah. when you're only when you're doing 30 miles a day and you're falling over every few minutes the bike is overheating and it's not cooling off and then what also happened was the Brazilian mud in the Amazon is the worst mud in the world. It's this sticky red shit and it sticks to everything and you have to use a stick to get it off. And, and the more you drop your bike, the, the, the outer casing of the motorcycle gets covered in, in, in this mud and then it heats up and it turns into like clay. 
and and it and it cooks your bike so your bike isn't getting any air and there's no heat escaping and it actually comes up through the seat so so what's happening is you're you're not getting anywhere you're falling off your bike all the time and then when you are sitting on your bike you know it's hard boiling your eggs and and then you, and then it, you're getting cooked from the sun from above and and it was just miserable <laughs> it was oh. unbelievable yeah, I didn't. I didn't have the pleasure of spending too much time in uh, in Amazon. Basically, was in in the Sao Paulo area uh, for most basically the entire time. So right. I can only imagine. I, I had enough friends and, and people that I had met from that area that just walking it seemed on the edge of misery. Let alone being cooked on top of a bike for thirty miles a day at max. I mean, it was that that definitely came through. It, it looked like that was one hell of a road. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. That's not motorcycle ride. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a good one. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That that kind of leads me to to one of the things I'm curious. So, you know, you're not it sounds like you ride bikes often in different bikes when you can rent them and and get on them. How do you prep uh, for some of these? Having done multiple longer trips and a couple of, you know, adjacent iron butt trips myself, I know that, you know, a number of hours on the saddle can start to wear on you. How do you prep for these trips? You know, I don't do anything really. Um, I, I, I keep myself in pretty good shape. Like I exercise every day and during, during the, you know, I used to like join a gym and stuff like that, but those days are long gone. So there's a guy on, there's a guy on YouTube that does a 30 minute full body, um, all body weight workout, you know, um, burpees, pushups, planks, uh, jumping jacks, squats, all this stuff for 30 minutes. I just do that every morning. And actually I feel healthier and better now in the last, in this year, uh, apart from all the heavy drinking that we've all been doing because we've been locked in at home, but, <laughs> but, but physically I feel stronger and better than I have in years, uh, having been, you know, joining gyms and, and having trainers and all this stuff, just by following this guy on YouTube for 30 minutes every day and just having the discipline to actually stick with that. So that's been, that's been nice. And, and apart from that kind of general physical health, um, you know, having riding skills is important if you're going to be doing like a lot of off-roading because you can you can really hurt yourself if you're in the mud or the dirt and you're not you're not well trained. So before I did um, Tough Rides China, I actually went to a, 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 an off-road motorcycle clinic um, and I did like one of those two-day courses or three-day courses where you learn how to brake and maneuver in dirt and uh and you and you learn how to go through the sand and go through water and all that kind of stuff and and then i did another one for uh in brazil before i went to brazil and these are super helpful because um you know when you're riding on the road uh you just need more time on the road you know figure out how the cars move figure out where your blind spots are uh figure out where to look when you're moving here and there like that's just common sense and, and it takes time on the road to feel comfortable so that your movements are slow and, and and you can anticipate the cars and, and everything is in a really nice flow. So you just need hours on the road. But when you're off-road riding, you really do have to pick up some skills because the balancing, the way you move, um, the way you shift your weight around on the bike is totally different. And uh, and having someone teach you that before you go out and do you know the BR319 in Brazil or something like that um, is, is, I think it's super helpful. And, uh, and if you have the time and, and the money, um, it can be, uh, it can really, you know, be beneficial. I think that's, yeah, that's true on, on most of these aspects of, 
of writing or really any skill. I think training yourself uh, from a basic understanding of what you need to be able to do in certain situations is, I mean, can be quite literally a lifesaver. <laughs> Absolutely. Some of those, Go ahead. Sorry. Let's just say some of those can be, can be pretty scary if you don't know how to handle those different situations. I know, you know, Brazil, one of the things I saw was, was sand riding, right? I know that on a big, heavy 800 CC BMW, that's very different than on my dirt bike. Oh uh, my God. Plenty did, of dunes here. Did you see that scene that I tried to do on the beach? Oh, yeah, so, <laughs> oh, f- so we had this, we had this whole thing planned out. Um, this is near, uh, this is just South of, uh, Salvador, right? On the, mm-hmm. on the Northeast coast. So, you know, I had found this beautiful beach and I, and you know, and I had read that you can do these dune buggy, um, like two or three day dune buggy, uh, rides up, you know, essentially the longest, be- most beautiful beach in the world, um, in this Northeastern part of Brazil. And I had wanted to do this by bike, not thinking that riding in the sand is miserable. And I was like, oh yeah, like we'll be beach riding and we'll be down by the water and the sand will be like wet and it'll be easier to maneuver and all this stuff. But but what happens is, is the trail takes you in and out of these villages and in and out of deep sand and then sand you can ride on, sand you can't ride on. And uh, and I, we gave up after half a day and just cut that whole scene out of the show and then just got right back on the highway because I, I fell like six times in three hours and, you know, and my wheels got dug into the sand so deep when I was trying to get out of the sand. And I was just like, this is not, uh, this is not the television experience that I wanted to have. So we just ended up cutting that whole three day thing out of the show and I will make up the time somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, sand, sand is terrible. Mud is worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you, you went through basically all the gambits of off-road riding in that Brazilian trip, but you know, we, as we talked about a little earlier, you know, for better or worse, I think that's something that having lived in Brazil and, and watching your adventure makes me want to plan something, you know, adjacent to that and, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, depending on where it's at. There are definitely some spots that look like it would be well worth leaving out of that itinerary. Yes, definitely. Um, but, <laughs> but don't forget, like, you know, you're also making the show for an audience and the audience like to see you yeah. struggle every now and then. So it's good to push yourself in ways that are less comfortable. Um, you know, and I, you know, people definitely talk about the BR319 experience in Brazil as being like their favorite part of the show just because of the isolation and the emptiness. And, and, you know, when you're in a city or when there's lots of people around, you, you speak to the camera, you know, you look to the audience and you talk to them in one way. And then when you're halfway down the BR319 and you're 500 miles into it and you can't go back and the only thing to do is go forward, your whole tone changes. And there's definitely some fear in your eyes. And I think that, you know, the audience loves that too, because the whole, the whole emotion of the journey uh, changes. And I think you really have to, as a producer of television, because we all, I also produce and direct the shows as well, like we definitely try to find those roads or those parts of the journey where we're really out on a limb. And, and we try to make it, a, a, you know, not dangerous, but definitely uncomfortable. And, and those and putting ourselves through those experiences are hair raising. Um, but also, you know, those are the things you remember, you know, 10 years later or five years later or whatever it's been. Sure. Yeah. Was that the craziest thing that you've had to uh, you've decided in the midst of, of your recording to to cut out? Or have you had any other incidences on a motorcycle that you were going to tip and it just got crazy, got ridiculous and it didn't even show up at all? Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes we've cut days that were, you know, we've, 
we've we've gone in directions and then you know got off those roads and, and went in other directions like we we keep like especially in brazil for example where it was just me on my own if you watch the brazil show the brazil show is basically you know we have these beautiful islands of storytelling so over like a 26 minute episode we'll have like you know six or eight like real scenes with two cameras where I'm meeting some people and we're having some like interaction that shows people about the culture and the way of life in Brazil. And then in between all those scenes is the riding. And some people complain that there's not enough riding. And then some people complain that there's not enough education about Brazil. You can't make everyone happy. But what we try to do is we try to have these like six story points or seven story points over a 26 minute episode. And then in between all that, we have like the really cool riding shots or stories from the road. And, you know, when you're on the road for 60 days, you end up with tons of writing stories and tons of writing shots that never make it. So that's so. So what you're seeing there is like so, you know, we had this three day riding along the beach, you know, and we were going to make a big scene about that. But a big scene about that is maybe only three or four minutes um, of an actual TV show. So to cut it, you know, just because it didn't look good and it was miserable and it was just like, guys, we're not even in the Amazon yet. Like the Amazon is going to be fun terrible i'm sorry if i'm swearing too much but the amazon was terrible but and and it's like i'm in this beach resort and i'm having a terrible day on the bike like i'm like this is the wrong this is the wrong place to be having these emotions like we're we have thousands of miles ahead of us that are just going to be terrible that's where the story is so i was just like let's just get off the off the beach and um and get back on the road and make up some distance and we'll we'll you know we'll get back to our our storytelling and, and get to the next appointment and um you know, so we keep it really fluid and really fun. And, and, uh, and that's, you know, that's why the, you know, the show is, is really fun to make is do, you know, we make changes all the time and hopefully for the better. Yeah. Now, one of the things I saw on your site, uh, and I'm just curious how this ties into, you know, a production environment is that you were, I, I can't remember, correct me if I'm wrong at any time, but some sort of an executive uh, travel along if I, if you can't, if I, if I could say that, uh, where somebody could go with you on these journeys. I mean, how, how would that even tie in to all of this? So, so that's when I, when we have that out in the world. Um, okay. So first of all, it's important for everyone to know that, um, I make, I make independent television shows. So, sure. uh, when you see my show on Amazon, Amazon doesn't give me like a hundred thousand dollars to make my show before I make it. I have right. to go out and, and raise money for my show or make my show on my own and then sell it afterwards. And, and yeah, so, so financing is always difficult um, and always tough. And, and a few years ago, I had a few of venture capital guys come up to me and, uh, and they said, Hey, I saw your extreme Trek show on a uh, airplane and my buddy and I are quite fit and we would love to go out with you on one of your episodes and we'll just sure. be behind the camera and, and we won't, you know, we won't be a problem at all. And, and, but we'd love to like go to one of these exotic parts of the world and see how you do it. And right. then I was like, well, you'll have to sign like a, a non-disclosure because there's a lot of tricks that we do uh, in filmmaking and, uh, you know, and then also too, I'm like, and you're, and you guys are going to have to fund it. And, um, 
And they were like, yeah, like, tell us how much you need. And I told them how much I needed. And they said, yes. And I was like, Ooh, this could be a business model. So right. <laughs> I've, so I've been, I've been trying to, to bring more people out and, and it's a maximum of two. And, um, and, and, you know, you have to have some level of fitness and, and, and it hasn't been for the motorcycle trips. It's been for the extreme treks episodes and stuff like that. Okay. And, and yeah, so we bring people out to these deserts and up these mountains and, you know, we have liability forms and we make sure all the insurance is in place and everything like that. And, and for the most part, people have a really, really amazing experience. And I make a new friend or two and, and, um, and it helps me also fund the television show that, you know, was just nominated for five Asian Academy Awards, which no broadcaster seems to be able to pay us for. Uh, so, so, yeah, so we have to be as creative as possible. I mean, you know, if, if, if I was to be paid from by a broadcaster, there would probably have to, we would have to gamify the show somehow. There would have to be like, you know, someone has to get out alive or there has to be a competition yeah. or, or, you know, I saw you kissing my girlfriend, you know, that's not where we are as professional storytellers. And that's not where I want to be uh, in television. Yeah, so, yeah. So I want to go out and have really amazing experiences in beautiful parts of the world. And that's just not something that broadcasters want to finance these days. So, um, yeah, so I've had to be very creative about how to do that. The other way I fund my shows is, is from speaking engagements. So uh, in 2019, I did 50 speaking engagements and I get paid for that. And I put that money into the television shows so that I can keep having something to talk about. Um, yeah. And then, of course, you know, once the shows are made, they get sold to broadcasters and we get a bit of money back. And then they, you know, I get royalties and things like that over the years. But but it's not necessarily enough to actually make the show because climbing climbing Aconcagua, which is a 24,000 24, foot mountain in Argentina, which is the highest mountain in South America. We did one of our episodes there for extreme treks. You know, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to go and do stuff like that with a film crew. Um but it was one of the best episodes I've ever made. And it was one of the most extreme environments we've ever filmed in. And it was, it was amazing. So, you know, someday we'll get Warren Buffett to do the executive program so that we can film in Antarctica, because that's like the most expensive place in the world to film. And, um, and uh, you know, it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to film in, in Antarctica, but there's definitely some good trekking and some good adventures to be had down there. Um, so that's kind of a, an, a take on the business model of where we are, and how we try to put these projects together, which is, you know, which is every time it's just a totally different jigsaw puzzle. But that's that's part of it. I mean, that's part of the fun. That's part of the challenge. And then, you know, when we finish it and people like it and they have no idea what the backstory was of how we put it together, we just smile and just say, thanks, guys. I'm glad you like the show. <laughs> yeah, I, can't, I just can't imagine getting out there. And then let's say you're halfway through your trip and whoever you're with is going, ah. Oh man, I can't, this guy, this guy's crazy. I can't do this. I'm, uh, what, what are you going to do? You, you have to finish it. Right. I mean, I guess unless you're around somewhere where people can go. Yeah. We always have an exit. So, um, so when we do have someone come out as part of the executive program, which is the dumbest name ever, but I thought it would be cool to have an executive <laughs> program. Um, we always have one ex, we always have one extra guide and one extra animal. Um, so, so we, we often use like yaks or donkeys to move our camera gear and bags through the mountains. So oh, yeah, a lot of batteries, a lot of weight. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of batteries, a lot of weight, you know, like hundreds of pounds of stuff. So, um, so when we have someone come out with us, 
we always have one extra guide and one extra donkey or, or animal for them. Um, because my guys and I, we're, we're, we're very fit. We've been doing this for years. We know how our body works at altitude and all this kind of stuff. We do eight or 10 of these trips a year. But for sure. someone who's, who, who's, not, who's not there physically or mentally, uh, yeah, so all we do is have an extra guide um, and an extra pack animal. And then if they start feeling rough, they're, they're back down the hill with our guide and they'll be at the hotel waiting for us when we come back in four or five days. And, and you know, that's their experience. And, um, and it's not the experience that they wanted to have, but maybe they pushed themselves far enough and they learned something and, and they helped us fund our show. And that's, that's just where we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they didn't get the glory shot on the top of the mountain, but, but, uh, you know, maybe next time. So, it's, it's, you know, they're definitely not part of my crew. And although we want to take care of them and make things as comfortable as possible, the, the story, they're not part of the story. So if things start to go sideways, it's very easy to, to get them out uh, safely so that they can, uh, you know, uh, feel safe and, and feel like they're being cared for without interfering with uh, the production. So that's kind of how we manage that. And I'm sure you guys, you guys make that perfectly clear at the very beginning. We're out here to do this film. And this is what we're going to do. I want to take care of you, but blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Here's your 400 page uh, liability and d disclaimer form that you need to sign as well. Sometimes it's just about, like on the back of a napkin, but we do get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So now what, what is the most important thing that you've found is critical when you go on these adventures, uh, whether it be your treks or extreme, right? What, whatever it is. I mean, what is it aside from, you know, maybe your, typical safety gear, your riding gear that you would not leave without? So um, uh, with regards specifically to motorcycle adventuring, my rain suit. Um, so in for those of you who have watched Tough Rides China, uh, I went and did Tough Rides China without a rain suit. And it was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life because, oh. because it rained and, and motorcycle <laughs> stuff doesn't dry well ever. And then, um, and then, of course, you know, in episode four, I think when we went up to the border with China and Pakistan, this was the worst day ever because uh, I'll walk you through the day. Okay, so uh, we wake up at 8 a.m. We're having breakfast. We're at about 16. We're at about 12, 14. We're at about 14,000 feet above sea level. Uh, and we need to go up to about 17,000 feet above sea level to get to the border where China and Pakistan is the highest border crossing in the world, Karakom Highway. And, and we wake up at eight o'clock and it's raining at 14,000 feet. And, and, and then we're like, well, if it's raining at 14,000 feet, it's probably snowing at 17 or 18,000 feet, but, uh, let's go for it anyways. And we didn't have our rain gear. And, and so what happened was, is like for the first hour, we were getting rained on and then our clothes were wet and the wet and the rain was getting in, like getting through. There's no such thing as anything on a motorcycle clothing, you know, apparatus that's actually waterproof. You need a rain suit. That's the only thing that's waterproof. Um, I hate when they advertise all these jackets as being like weatherproof or rainproof. They're not. If you don't have a plastic garbage bag rain suit, you know, and they cost like 50 bucks, then, then you're not ready for the rain. And, um, and so what happened was we started our journey and for the first hour, hour and a half, it's raining on us and we're getting totally soaked uh, and it, it is getting through to our, our under layers and our mid layers and stuff like that. And then and then the next hour and a half, you know, it, it dropped below zero. So everything turned to ice, including oh. our clothing. And then we started getting like hypothermia 
like our clothes were killing us like slowly um, and everything was wet and we were like, you know, and our, our hands were done and you couldn't even feel the hand warmers on the bike anymore. Wow. How, you know, and, um, and, and all our clothes were frozen. So that was just the worst planned day ever on a bike. So, so now no matter where I go, I always have a rain suit and I love my rain suit because I wear it a lot when it's not raining because it's just warm. Um, and some days, you know, in Brazil, for example, uh, we were we were out of the Amazon, and um, and we were coming back down to you know Sao Paulo and 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 the bigger cities, and it, and it started getting really cold, and um, and I would just put on my rain suit in the morning and wear it all day riding just to stay nice and warm because um, because I was having like a climate shock because I'd come out of the Amazon and it was like you know, hot and humid every day and I was dying on the bike. And then all of a sudden, you know, two, three days later, um, it's much, much colder. And I, I took me like a week to like make that transition physically. And so I would just put on my rain suit in the morning and ride in it all day. And it broke the wind nicely and it kept me nice and warm. And I was just toasty. And, and I just like that feeling of being on a bike and just being warm and nice. And, um, and so the rain suit is like my favorite piece of kit. Oh, that's, I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing what uh, 20 degrees Celsius feels like after you've been in 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. It's How freezing. It feels is. like, it feels like winter. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, if you're going to, if you're going to settle in and do five, six, seven, a hundred miles a day, um, you know, and that's what we did. Like when we came out of the Amazon in Brazil, for example, we had a really good stretch of road and not a lot to shoot. So so, you know, a couple drone shots a day and a couple passing shots a day and maybe a scene at a gas station every day. But the rest of the time we were just moving because we wanted to get back down to southern Brazil where we could, you know, see the Iguazu Falls and make a scene there. Uh, or, you know, we had a few people to meet, you know, towards the back end of our journey. So, you know, these beautiful stretches of like four or five days where you just have to ride, you know, those are some of the best days of, 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 of the journey, but very little filming. So it's nice to have that, that, um, you know, that rain suit and just to stay warm and just stay, stay in the saddle and stay settled in and find your little comfy, comfy zone and just crush, you know, a couple hundred miles a day. That's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. I think that's fair to the right gear goes, goes a long way in a rain suit. I Absolutely. ride with guys that give me a hard time. Cause I'm always the last person to put one on. Um, I like to imagine that whatever storm we see in front of us will disappear by the time I get to it. But Usually I, I give in to their uh, peer pressure and, and usually they're right. So I, I can I can relate to your comments that as well, once you wait too long to put on your rain suit, it's too late. <laughs> Everything underneath just stays nasty. Nasty for days. Like if, if you're <laughs> if you're not in a dry climate or you're staying in a guest house or, or a bad hotel or whatever that doesn't have like proper um, air conditioning or heating or, or proper ventilation, you know, that that motorcycle jacket or don't even get me started about boots like the boots will stay wet for days <laughs> um if you get caught in a proper rainstorm for an hour without a, a rain suit um so it, it can be uh you know it can be a tough one um and yeah everyone kind of agreeing at the same time when to put on the rain suit is a huge pain in the ass and that was the great thing about brazil because um <laughs> sure because i was by myself so i was like no you know it's not raining yet but uh you know, I'm not liking those clouds over there, so I'll just pop on the rain suit now, and uh, you know, I'll take I'll take it off in an hour if it doesn't rain, but but I'll just I'll put it on and we'll be safer, you know, safe rather than uh, than sorry later. 
Yeah, I'm now remembering a scene, I think it was India, where you and your brother, you and Colin had that debate. Yeah, we were going back and forth because that was that was crazy, though, because we were in Rajasthan. We were in Rajasthan and it was like 40 degrees Celsius, which is like maybe 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And and we got caught in these like wicked thunderstorms. So, you know, it was so hot that that um, that they would they would whip up these crazy thunderstorms and then it would rain for like an hour. And that was when I think I got a flat tire and then we had to get off the side of the road and it was raining and we were trying to pump it up enough so that we could uh, get to the next village and get it like properly repaired. And, uh, and, and yeah, like it would rain like that. And then, and then like 10 minutes later, you'd have to take off your rain suit because it would be 120 degrees and the sun would be beating down on you again. So those, those kinds of situations are, are wild. Um, and that's just uh, that's that's the fun of being in these crazy environments in these crazy parts of the world. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Now, did you spend a lot of time preparing for for these trips? I mean, how much of the trip is is pre planned, and how much of it is we will go to X, Y, and Z locations? Everything in between is open. Well, because because we have a film crew and and we're paying people um, by the day. And we're renting, you know, we're renting an SUV, and we do have like a pretty fixed schedule. Um, okay. So you know, today we're gonna go, you know, 300 miles. We're gonna stay at this hotel, uh, and and all of that is done before we leave. But but then within that, there's always room for for moving things around. Um, sometimes the weather is bad. We don't get to the hotel we're supposed to get to. We have to stay somewhere else. And then the next day we would go past that place and catch up and, and, and get, you know, leave extra early and do two days in one. Um, or, or sometimes we're filming in one place and we're like, you know, we should stay another day and film more here because this is going to be a big scene in the show. And then actually the next three days, we don't have much filming to do. So we can actually do like two days in one and then we'll pick up the third day later. So we're always changing the schedule, but we always start the trip with a fixed uh, schedule, you know, per day. And we always try to take like at least one day off every seven to 10 days where we just don't ride huh. and we just don't film. Uh, and we just kind of like let ourselves relax a bit, uh, which is pretty important. And then yeah. we usually have like one day every seven days where we film, but we don't ride. And those are the days that actually are the best storytelling days because when you're on a bike every day uh the stories that you're getting are pretty shallow like the guy at the gas station or hey this truck driver is doing this or whatever those are very small but you have to get off the bike and go to someone's house and have a dinner with them or have drinks with them or whatever those are like the big meaty uh storytelling parts of the show and those happen best when you're not riding so so every few every few days we have a day off where we're not riding and we're just telling stories about the place like Iguazu we were there for two days not riding at all and that was yeah. that was amazing like the most beautiful waterfalls in the world and um so those are always things we're trying to to do um because you know I come at this I come at this from a journalism point of view and from a television point of view like I like riding motorcycles but I'm not like a motorcycle guy like I don't own a bike I don't know how to fix a bike I didn't have bikes around when I was a kid um, you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't, re I consume a lot of motorcycle media. Uh, like I just like storytelling and I like meeting people and okay, now we're going to use a motorcycle to travel around and I'm all for that too. Um, and I, I do love the process and I love the journey. Um, but I'm not, 
I'm not like a, a motorcycle guy. Like I can't go to a motorcycle trade show and ask the right questions about all the motorcycles, but I can sit on one and be like, yeah, this is one I could ride for like 60, 70 days. Like, so that's kind of where, where my knowledge of the bike world is. No, and I think that's something I really appreciate about this is, is that one of the things we often preach and, and really how we got started deciding to make our podcast public was bringing people into the motorcycle community and sharing that community with others. Uh, you know, here in, here in the U.S., there's kind of a stigma against certain types of bikes and, and bikers are rude and squids and all these different labels and types of motorcyclists that exist here. Um, and that's worldwide. I know that's well outside of just our realm here uh, in the West as well. Um, but that was kind of one of the things we wanted to share uh, from the beginning is that this is a community where if you like being free, if you like experiencing right the world around you, that, that 360 degree view of everything and not being tied to just the small windows you can see out of, then this is really something you should try. It doesn't mean you must you know take a course and love it and buy all the bikes and be that person. But if, if that's something you enjoy is that freedom, then we kind of encourage everybody to get their endorsement and learn how to ride at the very least. If you hate it, great, you tried it. Um, and I think that's maybe something that, I don't know if I thought about that until you were just talking about it, but that resonates with me on this is, you know, you're going and doing pretty amazing things on a motorcycle that, you know, I, I kind of outside of, of family and, and maybe my day job live, live, eat, breathe and, and love motorcycles pretty hard, but I have not done these trips, right? I've not been to Brazil, China, India, and all the many locations you've had the opportunity to ride. Um, and I, you know, not to say I have any more or less experience, but from what you just said is very humbling to say that doesn't matter who you are. If you like it, try it and do it, go, go have an adventure. I think that's, you know, outside of motorcycles, something that, that comes across to kind of with what I think you know, maybe it's not what you're, you're trying to preach, but what, you know, what you've done with your life is share that there is a much more than the four walls around us. Yeah. And I think, and I think for people to judge you is ridiculous because as long as you're traveling and trying to learn something about the world or something about the people in the world that don't look like you or speak the same language, you're going to be better off at the end of that day than if you'd stayed at home. So for people to judge or to have something negative to say about someone who's trying to do something and trying to better themselves is ridiculous. And uh, they should like, you know, take a hard look at themselves in the mirror because anyone that gets on a motorcycle and wants to meet new people and explore something, whether they're tattooed or, or a banker on a BMW or whatever the stereotype is, you know, they're trying to go out and do something um, and learn a little bit about themselves and learn a little about, about the world around them. And I think that, uh, you know, that should be supported in all walks of life at any time. And, uh, and everyone just has so much to say about motorcycling. Uh, it's kind of ridiculous, but, you know, just get on a bike and go see something. And if you stop and meet someone interesting, stay a while, break bread and, and talk about life. And you're going to end off that day a better person than you started. And that's why we ride. That's why we try to learn. And that's why we love doing these big trips. No, I appreciate that. I you said it much better than I could. Um, <laughs> I talked for a living. <laughs> yeah. But uh, before we let you go, is there anything that you want to bring up, share, promote? Uh, what are you doing? What What's next? Other than it sounds like Russia and Saudi Arabia. Well, I mean, you know, um, we're in we're in difficult times, and uh, you know, I just you know, you hope everyone's safe and, and doing the best they can out there in the world. And, uh, 
and my, you know, my world has kind of been turned upside down a little bit from all of this stuff. And it's hard to know where I'll have the chance to film next or what I'll have the chance to, to do next. And it even kind of sounds silly worrying about where I'm going to film next when, when there's all this chaos going around and, uh, you know, people are losing their jobs and losing their homes and losing the ability to feed their families and stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of hiding out at the moment, not knowing what to do next because, you know, we're in an environment right now of great uncertainty. And um, until Warren Buffett joins my executive program, <laughs> it's, you know, it's going to be, it's just going to be difficult waiting for people to, you know, decide where they want to spend money to invite us to film or where we can invest in another project and film safely. Because I don't, I don't know if you guys know, like I'm, I'm a little, uh, you know, I'm a little concerned at the moment because, you know, in, in February, I, you guys might not know my whole COVID story, but I, in February, I was filming in uh, Myanmar and then in March I was in Ethiopia. And in March, you know, the world was starting to be in a bit of a dicey place with, with COVID. And I went to Ethiopia up into the Simeon mountains and did an episode of extreme treks thinking that that would be like the great place to escape all the news and all the negativity. And I'm social distancing. I'm in my own tent. My camera guys are in their own tents. There's no villages. We're just up in the mountains enjoying life and kind of getting away from the world. And then what happened was we were offline for two or three days and we got up to the top of, of this high pass at about 16,000 feet on the border with South Sudan and Ethiopia. And we were filming a great episode and my guide Daoud was amazing and everything was going great. And then we get up to the top and he's like, okay guys, we can check our phones now. We'll have a signal here. You know, let's stay, you know, 20 minutes. And of course I turned on my phone and it went crazy. Like the United States is closed, Europe is closed. And then my home, the United Arab Emirates, they closed. And I actually couldn't come back to the United Arab Emirates. I couldn't come back to my home in Dubai. Uh, and I'm a property owner. Um, and they were only letting passport holders in. And I just have like a residence visa, like a green card. So so I was standing there at 16,000 feet in Ethiopia. And it's March 19th. And it was about 11 a.m. And I'll never forget it. Like I was homeless. And I didn't know what to do. So... You know, we had a I, we had a team meeting with the guys, and we were just like, "This is getting crazy." You know, four days ago, this seemed like a really good idea. Now it doesn't. Um, what should we do? So we called a driver. We hiked like six, seven hours to the nearest road, and we drove straight back to the capital of Addis Ababa. And the whole time we were driving, we didn't know where we were going to fly to um, because we didn't know where we could go and what was possible because everything was changing so quickly. So. Um, one of my guys, Chad, he's from Canada, but he lives in Bali. But Indonesia closed their borders to non-Indonesians. So he couldn't go back to his home in Bali where he has a motorcycle that he loves because I'm on a motorcycle <laughs> podcast. I'll throw that in. But then, um, and I live in Dubai and I couldn't come back to Dubai. So I, I, I didn't, we didn't know. So, um, so the guys had to go back to the countries that they have passports for, which isn't necessarily the country that we all live in because we're global nomads and we travel all the time. So, you know, guys, the guys had to go back to North America and I went to go see a friend in Istanbul because I didn't want to go back to North America. And I was still doing a lot of work in the Middle East and setting up shows and stuff. And I thought that would just continue. So I got to Istanbul. And then when I got to Istanbul, I saw we got out of Ethiopia about 16 hours before they closed the airport. And I got into Istanbul the same day they closed the borders to Turkey. And and then I was in Istanbul for four months. 
um, stuck. So, so now when someone's like, Hey Ryan, like, you know, let's go film in Azerbaijan. I'm like, well, is Azerbaijan going to shut down while I'm there? Um, just because there's a new spike of something, something, or there's more cases today than yesterday, or there's not enough testing or, or whatever. So for the risk level now to go into production and potentially not be able to get home is unbelievable. And this is something I never had to think about up until eight months ago, nine months ago. This was never part of the risk calculation, getting stuck abroad. Um, and of course, it's very costly if you go into production with your whole crew and then you don't finish or you don't come out with a product that you can sell. Like that's just the bare bones of it. So if, if we all fly into Azerbaijan and then we get, and then Azerbaijan like closes its borders, um, then we're really screwed. So right now it's a terrible time to be traveling as tourists, but it's also a terrible time to be trying to plan any kind of travel production, um, especially since what I've been through. Um, you know, like I, I was lucky that, you know, I, I make a pretty good living and, and I wasn't I wasn't financially destroyed by what's been happening. But, I, you know, it was definitely uh, uh, psychologically challenging to be like locked in Turkey, not being able to go anywhere for four months and, and coming to terms with that was was really, really hard. And, and, you know, I got out of Turkey and I managed to do some filming in Europe in the summer. And we were the only people in the travel business that were filming. Um, and, and we were trying to find a new way to do it. Like, how do we social distance? How do we do everything outside? Uh, how do we wear masks for everything until the moment where we're on camera? Like, how do we find the new social norms of, of filming during a global pandemic. And, and, you know, Tom Cruise, I made a joke earlier, like Tom Cruise is filming Mission Impossible right now in Rome and they're trying to figure out how to do this too. And, and obviously we have a much, much less of a production budget than Mission Impossible. Um, but, you know, we all agreed as a crew that we weren't just going to sit at home. So we, let's figure out how to do this together. And, and we did, we got, we got four good months in, in Europe and we made a few shows and we got people back to work and I was able to pay salaries again, but now we're into this Christmas lockdown and I can't even leave Dubai. Like I, I like I can't, there's no country right now that I could fly to other than Canada, which is my, the country of my passport. Um, so I'm sitting here in Dubai, talking to you guys, looking at a map here in my office and I can't go anywhere. And that's not that's not a normal occurrence for me. And it's something I'm not very used to. So I, I don't know what's next or, or what might be. Um, all we can hope is that whatever is going on, it's better by the summer maybe. And then I might have the chance to, you know, ride a motorcycle somewhere and make a TV show, but I, it's, it's impossible to really know. And I'm really gun shy about traveling at the moment because of what happened and, and getting stuck abroad. Um, and not really being able to get back, so it's it's been uh, it's been an interesting year. But I have no confidence that you know I'll be able to get back and make any kind of television in the next two or three or four months. Yeah, wow. Now, out of curiosity, I mean, <clears throat> when you guys started breaking up and you guys were starting to head out, what what was do you do you document that? Do you try? Do you, are, is it going through your mind that you can document this and? make it part of the episode or what, what did you end up doing in that moment? So, so yeah, this is a great question. So when we were filming in February, 
in Myanmar, we didn't want to talk about COVID at all because I don't like to, I don't like to put a date stamp on my shows. Like I don't like talking about world events in my shows because I want them to be timeless and I want them to be, again, I'm not, I don't want to compete with CNN or BBC and make a documentary about what it's like to be traveling in the time of COVID. Like that doesn't interest me at all. I want to make a really nice show that people can sit down and watch for years and learn about the people. um, no matter what the economic crisis or global viral crisis is in of the moment. Um, but then when we were in Ethiopia, uh, I made the decision not to talk about COVID at the beginning of the show. But then once it, once, once the world closed, we're like, wow, people are, are going to be talking about this for generations. And this is something we need to talk about just for this episode. So we filmed our exit. Uh, we filmed having to turn around and, and cut short our trip. We filmed the journey back to Addis Ababa and not knowing where we were going to fly and everything like that. And then we're also going to do some interviews, like after the fact interviews with me um, to kind of slice in different parts of the episode so I can talk about what I was feeling in those moments. And, and that's that, that Ethiopia episode is just forever going to be the COVID episode. And then... But, and then when I got to Istanbul, like, you know, I make TV shows and I was locked down for four months. So, so I made it, I made another TV show while I was in Istanbul and I called it the COVID calls. And I did this on my Instagram live and, and I, and I did 100, I did 100 one hour interviews for a hundred days while I was locked down in Istanbul. So if you guys go onto my Instagram page or whatever, you can see them in my Instagram TV. They're also on my YouTube channel. And I just talked with other friends in television writers, journalists, people I'd met, people I'd never had time to connect with because everyone was just kind of locked down. And, um, and that kept me sane, uh, while I was kind of stuck in Istanbul for, for four months. And, uh, I'm very thankful to all the people I talked to who gave me so much of their time and because like planning that and preparing all the guests and figuring out time zones and, and the technology behind it, like that kept me mentally healthy for, for four months while I was kind of stuck indoors. Yeah, I can imagine that. And I mean, you're talking about the next two to three months and what you're going to be doing. I mean, however long, even if things start to normalize and we hope that that's uh, taking place soon, we're still going to have people wearing masks. And if you're trying to keep something timeless, that's something that's going to be difficult to overcome, that you're you're in this area and you're either having to wear a mask or everybody else that's walking by you as you're doing an interview or talking to people is also yeah. wearing one. So. I can I can only imagine what what you're heading into, but I, I can from what I've seen in all of your um, um, shows is that uh, it's going to be awesome no matter what. But maybe a little bit difficult to to keep that timelessness going for a while now. I I have to agree with you. It's going to be uh it's going to be a bit rough, and uh, I haven't figured out how to navigate that space yet. But I'm um you know I've got a few months I think now to to work on it. And then, you know, I, I had a good argument with my buddy. Uh, have you, you guys know Alan Carl, right? He's a, he makes television shows, rides motorcycles all around the world. He, he, uh, he has a great book called forks where he travels and he does food cuisine, but he's a big motorcycle rider and he's got a great, um, webcast podcast as well called uh, journeys. And I was doing his show a few days ago and we were kind of having this argument about like the vaccine and, and he's like, oh, it'll all be fine once the vaccine comes out. And I'm like, you know, I believe in science as well, Alan, but, but the, the countries that you and I travel to, Alan, 
are not going to be the first ones vaccinated. So, you know, and, and there's always going to be people not being vaccinated or not trusting it. So as long as those gaps in the global, you know, uh, distribution of this, you know, vaccine, uh, there's always going to be gaps in this. And, and those gaps are going to make travel less safe and, and potentially more difficult. So I, I kind of have a longer term idea that this is going to take a lot longer to normalize. And, and that's not the most optimistic thing to say, but it's just my gut feeling having, having traveled so much and seeing how, you know, different countries are dealing with these kinds of pandemics or rollouts or, or their own, you know, public health policies. It's, it's a little terrifying actually. Yeah, I think that's a, an incredibly valid point. I mean, to that to that same point, it took so long to ramp up to what it is where we all thought, right, one or two months, this will be all over. And obviously, that's not the case at this point. Um, yeah. You know, and, and so I think that that's a very fair statement. And, and probably one of the reasons, you know, I, I think that's one of the reasons I've, I've, you know, reintroduced myself to a lot of the, the, the adventure videos here, uh, you know, that you've done is, is it is, you know, a COVID safe opportunity to go and, and hike and do these things. Those are, you know, obviously motorcycles, hiking, adventuring is is a pretty socially distance safe activity. And and I, I hope people are, you know, able to turn to these uh you know, these different documentaries and the different videos you've made and the the motivation I'd say uh created to be able to, you know, take these adventures on their own and, and start getting out more because i think that's one of the long-term things you know i've got i've got three kids and and that's the hardest thing i see from the after effects of this is the mental effects of being locked in exactly what you're talking about with uh with your covid uh calls that um you know if you don't have something outside of just sitting in four walls this is driving people crazy yeah yeah, it is. And I, you know, I hope you guys call me back tomorrow and we can do another one of these because I'm free. <laughs> so, you know, this is this is the most fun I've had all week. So I'm really appreciating it. And uh, and 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 that's just, you know, just because there's there's no mountains I can go climb at the moment or motorcycle journeys I can uh, I can uh, I can partake in. So it's a little bit a uh, little bit of a strange existence for me personally. Yeah, I, I can only imagine that that's a, a world that I guess both in this situation, fortunately, but often, unfortunately, I don't get to live in as the, the world traveling quite as often as I'd love to, but that is the world you, you live in every day. And that has definitely been disrupted. No question. So I, I, I'm grateful you were able to, to join with us here and, and kind of talk about some of the adventures you had and hopefully encourage people to, to, uh, you know, check ryanpile.com. You've got all your stuff, uh, you know, on, on your own website, as well as, you know, anywhere that you can catch video, YouTube, Amazon, uh, whatever makes you the most money, Ryan, is where people should watch all of your stuff. Sure. Um, <laughs> I mean, Amazon is the easiest just because it's free if you're a prime a prime subscriber. And, and, you know, just follow me on Instagram. That's where you get to see the most of my daily life. And and uh, that's the thing I update, you know, pretty religiously um, just because it's such a, an easy platform. And, and uh, that's definitely the most interactive platform where you can leave comments and I'll get back to you and you can see kind of what I've been up to the last few months. And, uh, and yeah, I mean... I hope everyone can just, you know, enjoy some of the shows that we've made in the past. Expedition Asia, Extreme Treks, Tough Rides, they're all on Prime. And and hopefully they inspire you to start planning or do something uh, when we can all get out and do something again. We've we've all got time to plan the next adventure. So uh, hopefully we're taking a, a chip off the block you've left us to uh, to do something epic. Because I, I know it's it's given me the bug. 
uh, you know, when I, when I first started writing, big epic adventures are, you know, one of the big things that brought me into writing. But the reality is, I, you know, you don't get as many of those as you'd like uh, from a day-to-day basis. So all this time at home allows us to plan these adventures. And, and obviously you've done some that, uh, that we'd all like to, uh, to try and emulate within our own lives. So, so we appreciate that. Appreciate the content you're bringing. Um, I, myself from a very personal level, I know I've said it and, and maybe become a bit of a fanboy on it here, but I, I love the, the Brazil episode and I appreciate the culture that you show in a lot of the, uh, the adventures that you do. It's not just about hiking a mountain or living out in the wilderness or some of the other, there's obviously a whole bunch of documentaries and, and adventure shows out there. Um, but I think that's one of the things I've appreciated is the, the understanding of the culture in which you're, you're living at that moment uh, that you bring to each of these shows. So I appreciate it. And thank you for sharing that with us. And thank, thank you for noticing because uh, we, we put a lot of heart and effort into that. And, uh, and it's nice when people uh, identify it and actually enjoy it. So I'm, I'm thankful and uh, and thank you guys for having me and uh, and I hope everyone out there rides safe and uh, keeps their distance. I agree. Let's uh, let's get through this so we can get back out and adventure. Um, of course, you can always catch us on Instagram, Facebook, or at slackermoto.com. And I uh, hope everybody has an awesome week. And for us here in the U.S., at least Christmas is coming. Everyone else, a lot of places have different holidays coming up. Hope everybody has an awesome holiday season uh, and enjoys the. Uh, the winter for everything that they're doing and, and stay safe until next time. Right on. Mm-hmm.